Hello and welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I'm Ashley. And I'm Matt. And joining us today is our friend Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi. How are you guys? Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you too. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is another episode in our 12 Days of Christmas, where for the 12 days leading up to Christmas, we talk about a movie in the holiday film genre. Uh, today's movie is Reindeer Games. Yeah, so this was directed by John Frankenheimer. Uh, came out in 2000. So as of this recording, it's 23 years old. Um, stars Ben Affleck as a dude named Rudy who's uh, in prison. He's got a cellmate named Nick. Uh, they're both getting ready to be released. Nick has been corresponding with this woman uh, who's played by Charlize Theron. And she sent him pictures. And she's, I mean, if you've ever seen Charlie's Throne, you know she's a, <laughs> she's a beautiful woman. And um, Rudy, the Ben Affleck character, he's skeptical that, you know, basically, even though I don't think the term existed in 2000, he basically thinks Nick is being catfished by, by her. Um, and anyway, so like a day or two before they're supposed to get released, uh, a fight breaks out in in the, the the commissary, and Nick is is shanked and dies. And then um, Rudy Ben Affleck he gets released, and there's Charlie's throne waiting for Nick. She, she she's legit, at least she looks like she her pictures do anyway. And um, Ben Affleck decides to pretend to be Nick because I guess in this whole time they've been corresponding. Nick never sent her a picture of himself. Um, and he, but he finds out quickly that taking on Nick's identity, um, is a mistake because Charlie's Throne has a brother played by Gary Sinise, who's a criminal and Rudy gets roped into doing a, a casino heist. And so, yeah, that's your general overview of the movie. Uh, Aaron, so what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? I don't know. <laughs> that that's that's my legitimate problem with this movie for everything that i liked about it there's three things that i didn't like about it and the things that i did like i really liked it's not well okay the plot in and of itself is just utterly ludicrous <laughs> it's just ridiculous um and some of the acting for me like Ben Affleck, I think Ben Affleck is terribly miscast. He just doesn't read, in particular, when he was younger, in, in 2000, when he would, you know, 23 years ago, when he was so young and handsome. He doesn't read streetwise and car criminal to me. Mm. Charlie Theron, okay, she's all right. Gary Sinise completely overacts the entire movie. So it's like the performances are either just sort of bland or they're completely overacted. Um. I did think the general conceit of all dressing up as Santa Claus to rob the casino was pretty funny and pretty cool. And that sequence itself was, was, you know, was pretty cool. But this is one of those movies that every 10 minutes there's a new revelation and the, the new revelation negates the old, the old revelation, but the new revelation doesn't make any more sense than the previous revelation <laughs> did. So it just keeps compounding. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense all the way up to a completely bonkers ending. <laughs> yeah. You're mentioning of the Santa outfits reminds me, just in case folks aren't familiar with this movie, this, this movie takes place at the end of the year around the holidays. And the robbery's on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's why, that's why it's yeah. part of our 12 days of Christmas. Also, just heads up, uh, the 23-year-old film, we, and there are revelations in it, but we will be doing spoiler talk with it. So just FYI, Ashley. 
Yeah, so you said this came out in 2000, so that's just on the cup, cusp of the 2000s. This movie feels very 90s to me. It feels like a, mm-hmm. it feels like a mediocre 90s thriller. Um, and it's, you know, it's competently made. Um, the acting is fine. I agree with you. I think, I think Charlize Theron and uh, Ben Affleck both are miscast. Um, I don't. I was not convinced that either one of them were the, you know, the troubled people mm-hmm. with their criminal histories that they are supposed to be. Um, so yeah, and, and the whole the whole plot, the the idea of, um, you know, forcing this newly released criminal into this heist, um, it's so rife with potential problems and. And it just doesn't make a lot of a whole lot of sense. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. That said, I it kept my interest, and it, you know there were some decent scenes. You know, like you mentioned with the, the the actual heist itself and dressing up like Santa Claus and all that stuff. But it yeah, it's just kind of the very definition of mediocre for me. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know this movie. There's things I like about it. Uh, it 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 overall kept my interest, you know. And whenever a movie can do that, because um, I mean, let me tell you, there have been movies I've watched where, uh, particularly movies I've watched for this podcast, where I'm like, man, if I could just bail from this, I would. I didn't think that about this movie, so it, it did keep my interest. That said, um, it was also verging on kind of boring to me, um, and it had some pacing issues. And um, you're right, Aaron. Uh, Gary Sneeze is just overacting quite a bit um i mean he's not like william shatner level uh you know but he's yeah this movie has an interesting framework um i was just making sure i had the right term here but i would call this neo-noir which uh, is a genre of films that use the visual style and themes of classic film noir and you know on this uh, podcast just last month ashley and i and our friend grant talked about the uh stanley kubrick film the killing which was a, a, a later film law film. We talked about sort of the, the tropes that are in film law. And this movie has it. This movie, for one thing, and this is kind of one of the issues I have with it, uh, but it starts with showing you the sort of some, some of the results of the Christmas Eve casino heist. And you see all these men dressed as Santa Clauses laying basically, you see, dead uh, out in the snow. Um so it starts that way, and a lot of film laws kind of start in the present, and then you flash back to see all the events that led up to that. And that's what this movie does. Also, film laws have um, uh, usually a, a dame that's up to no good, um, <laughs> and that is that is also present in this movie. So, uh, yeah, there's no narrator in this though. Well, the movie opens with Ben Affleck talking about how he wants to go back, yeah. but that's it. Yeah, you, no, they, they never go. They, the they never go back to that. No. Yeah, um, it's interesting. When I was watching this, and and I was thinking to myself, like, wow, you know, I'm surprised this movie is so mediocre because you know it's directed by the late great John Frankenheimer, which you know, if you earned a film at all, that's a name you know. But <laughs> then sure I, <laughs> but then I look back at his filmography, and this may be sacrilegious to certain people, and you may throw any opinion I have out the window after this. <laughs> but I was looking at John Frankenheimer's filmography and I'm like, oh, okay. So he had, um, he had the Manchurian Candidate. 
And and then yeah, Manchurian Candidate. Um, <laughs> really, he, he he did Seven Days in May, which I know is a movie that a lot of people like. And but I mean, it's it's not. I would I would argue, it's it's not a Manchurian Candidate level uh, classic. <laughs> in his later, like not, not too long before, like just right before this movie, he did a film with Robert De Niro called Ronan. And <laughs> when I worked in retail, that was right when that movie came out, and all the straight guys. <laughs> in, in my in my uh, my place of work, could not <laughs> shut up about Ronan. I ended up watching it. I thought it was okay. I mean, honestly, aside from a big car chase scene, it's just again to me, it's it was one of those mediocre '90s thrillers. Um, and of course, uh, he's credited uh, with directing um, uh, the. Classic bomb, I Love Dr. Moreau from 1996. <laughs> but seriously, like, I, I had John Frankenheimer like, in super high esteem going well. into this. <laughs> and then again, I, I, the movie kind of was letting me down. And then I went and looked at his filmography and I'm like, oh, so not, there's not a whole, I mean, he did, he worked a lot. Yeah. But, you know, he wasn't like no Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese or, or Alfred Hitchcock or anything. I mean, anyway, so. Um, throw it back to you, Eric. That, that's interesting. I, 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 I connected in John Frankenheimer to Manchurian Candidate, which is a I mean, it's, yeah, that's, that's a, a great movie. That is, yeah, yeah. It's, that, that's that's one of the great noir films. There's a camera shot. Speaking of noir, there's a camera shot early in this movie that I that I really liked, and you can hear uh, Nick in the cell, and he's reading aloud from the letters, and you see the pictures of Charlize Theron on the wall. And the camera is moving up and down the pictures, uh, going, it's doing up and down. The male gaze. The, the male gaze. Yeah. And then you realize that it's a point of view shot from Ben Affleck because he's doing push ups in the cell. I thought it was a really, <laughs> it was a really clever, uh, very clever camera shot. Yeah. Um, one, one thing about, because you, you mentioned the boredom, and I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I'd use the word tedious on a plot level because once Gary Sinise becomes involved in the film, he shows up in the hotel room, um, basically, and basically kidnaps them. From that moment until the heist starts, the movie is just a continual. I'm going to kill you. Oh wait, no, I'm not. I'm going to kill you. Yes. Oh no, I'm not. It yes. just, it's just, it, it's continual. And there's some discrepancies for me in uh, Ben Affleck. I mean, his character thinks very quickly on his feet. He makes the oh well, I don't recognize this map because they must have remodeled. You know, he thinks very quickly. But when he goes to, they put him in a disguise and he goes to the casino, the head of security walks by and he's like, oh, oh, he'll recognize me. He'll recognize me. And I, to this, having watched the movie, I don't understand why he would have been recognized. He wasn't Nick. He was Rudy. He's pretending. He's got to play, you know, he's got to uh, oh, play okay. it off. Okay. So that, that, that clears that up. <laughs> We can edit out the part where I said something stupid, but <laughs> I couldn't figure that. I'm like, that's he's not Nick. I, 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 I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't figure that he out. He needs for the Gary Sinise gang to think that he's Nick, right? So he's playing like, oh, I can't be recognized by this security guard. And that sequence was clever. Ashton Kutcher in a cameo. <laughs> See, there's, this movie has some weird, random crap yeah. in here. Like, and Ashton Kutcher wouldn't have been big yet. He was in that 70s show. Oh, yeah, I guess he would have been in that 70s show by that point. But he sees that Ashton Kutcher has the same facial hair, so he, Ben Affleck, has machinations to trade places with with, uh, Ashton Kutcher. It's pretty clever, but it doesn't hold up cleverly through the entire film. 
Right. So I, I think I agree with both of you that the kind of middle section of this film is, is pretty boring and repetitive, not only because there's, you know, the, are you going to kill me? You're, I'm going to kill you. No, you're not. But there's also the endless thing about, um, no, I'm not Nick. I'm, I'm someone else. Oh no, I really am Nick. It just goes back and forth with that. And that was, that was tiresome because you, you, who, who cares? Um, and I also felt, so if we get to the very end of the movie, the there's, like you mentioned, there's like one surprise after another and they're, they're not like shocking. Wow. Surprises. Mm-hmm. They're just so silly surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, like roll your eyes, laugh at it. <laughs> surprises. So those didn't work. And then the, the very last scene, the last few minutes are so tonally off that it's ridiculous because all of a sudden it wants to be like a hallmarky Christmas movie at the very end. It's Robin Hood. Right. Yeah. It's so stupid. Um, so yeah, I, I'm seeing a lot of critical things. Um, like I said, it, there's some action scenes that are, that are fine and it kept my attention, uh, but it is a little boring in the middle. Well, talking about the whole tedious nature of, you know, because like I said earlier, Rudy pretends to be Nick, but then, you know, Gary Sinise's gang wants him to pull off this casino heist because Nick worked at this casino before he was put away. Obviously, Rudy doesn't have any knowledge of the casino, so he's got to play it off. And sometimes, as you said, I, you know, he's sometimes he admits to being Rudy. Sometimes he says he's Nick. Sometimes Gary said it, it goes on forever. <laughs> you can have, you know, you can have one of those scenes. Uh, and I've seen many of those scenes where, you know, you worry that um, someone's going to kill somebody else. And it's very, it's, it's a good scene to have tension in. But you only do that scene once right. in the movie. They do it about five billion times in this film. And another thing is, I just found it inartfully directed. And, and I know, again, it's probably sacrilegious to say about John Frankenheimer, but I'm like, can they just film this any more dully? Like, again, even the first time they did that scene, I was watching it and I'm like, this is just not working for me. Yeah. And the other thing is, is like, it was early on enough in the movie that I'm like, you know, unless they Janet Lee him, like in Psycho, <laughs> I know Ben Affleck's not dying, right. not this early in the movie. Right. right. So that really didn't, I didn't have a lot of dramatic tension about that. But that leads into another big, big issue I have with this movie. So, Charlize Theron, her character several times throughout the movie, when we have this exchange between Gary Sinise and Ben Affleck about killing, blah, 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 Charlize Theron... Uh, stands up and says, you know, no, 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 he, he is Nick and he's, you know, don't, don't kill him and blah, blah, blah. And for the longest time, I didn't like her character because I'm like, she's so stupid. I mean, <laughs> that's the other thing. I mean, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief here. So, you know, the way Ben Affleck plays off uh, trying to pretend to be Nick or not have a certain knowledge that he should have and everything. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't fool a, a six-year-old. But it manages to fool this this gang of criminals. And she keeps defending him. And I'm like, God, is she just thick? Are they all thick? Uh, uh, you know? And and then big revelation at the end. Um, after the heist goes badly, um, and, and most everyone dies except for Rudy, uh, Ben Affleck, and Charlie Theron, 
Um, we learned that Nick is not dead. Right. Uh, Nick, Nick did get shanked in, in prison, but the guy that shanked him was, was in on it and didn't do it to kill him. And then Nick went to the infirmary, paid off a guard to say he died. And, and I was like, okay, whatever. And then he's there with Charlie Theron, who they actually were dating before he went into the slammer. So the whole correspondence thing was a ruse. And then they decide to, they're going to put Ben Affleck in a car and drive him off a cliff and have it blow up or burn or whatever. And then they're going to get away. And Charlize Theron is truly evil. I kept waiting for yet another twist where she double-crossed Nick (laughs) and went with Rudy, Ben Affleck. But she didn't. And I'm just like, so she wasn't stupid, I'm guessing the whole time. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I was trying to figure out, like, why why was she trying to keep Ben Affleck alive that whole time? Unless it was all to get to this final part where they needed basically Ben Affleck's body to be in this car to burn up. And I'm like, wow, you went through a lot just for that. There seems like there could have been a much easier scenario in which he could arrive at that well, point. I questioned anyway if this if Nick and her were together in the first place then why did they need Ben Affleck? But that's what they that's what they you're right. That's yes. what they wanted. They wanted a corpse in the car. Couldn't they have just kidnapped him? Done the done the heist and then mm-hmm. put him in there. <laughs> well, and then this movie, I mean the whole the whole setting and emotion of this plot is based on a uh, um I call the uh, it's an idiot move, uh, and 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 that is Ben Affleck's character deciding to pretend to be his cellmate, his dead cellmate. Because the moment that happened, I because I didn't, I went into this movie kind of cold. I mean, if you actually look, I think it's IMDb or other places, they tell you that part. Oh, he pretends to be blah blah blah. And I didn't know that. Um, so when he did that, I'm like, what? Why would you do that? Just be honest. Just say, hey. Um, I'm Rudy. I was Nick's cellmate. I'm so sorry, but can I have a ride? Yeah, I mean, Nick, Nick, Nick. Nick was killed, and I'm so sorry. And and then just see what happened. Um, but no, he. And seriously, the whole thrust of the movie relies on is it just centers on him making that stupid idiot move, and yeah, I mean it's just yeah, and and also, um, Charlie's Theron's character already knew that he wasn't mm-hmm. Nick. And seriously, what would have happened if he decided not to do that? Because he was on the bus. He was getting ready to leave with the rest of the release prisoners, and she was standing out in the snow. What if he had just stayed on the bus and, <laughs> and left? I mean, maybe you're right, Ashley. Maybe they would have found him and kidnapped I, I just feel like there's... The, the, there are, you know, there are not just movies. There's stories and books, whatever, but uh, that are so caught up in trying to reveal things and and surprise you that they don't stop and think that the these revelations kind of unweave the entire story mm-hmm. or, or in hindsight make it not make sense. Right. Yeah. And, and there's movies, there's a lot of movies like that. The, the, the best movies, the best movies with reveals like that, I mean, a good example for me is Usual Suspects. Uh, when you look back at the movie, they don't cheat at all. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the, the, the plot still holds together. This, this one doesn't. And 
I think of, uh, I felt this way about, if you, and I, I know it's blasphemy to talk bad about David Fincher, but I felt that way about the movie, The Game. This and The Game all completely rely on knowing what someone is going to do when you can't possibly know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. They, they, they knew that Ben Affleck was going to meet up with her. No, they couldn't have known that. And, 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 and so you're right. It, the, the, the plot in and of itself from the very beginning of the movie just doesn't, it, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And, and kind of going back to something I mentioned earlier, I, I don't like the way that they open the movie, which is showing, um, the aftermath of the failed casino heist. I guess it didn't fail. I mean, they did get the money, but uh, the most uh, everyone on Gary Sinise, including Gary Sinise, his whole crew got killed. Um, I don't know. I don't like that. And like I said, I know that's a trope of film law, but sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it's okay. And other times, I mean, basically to me, it started, it started telegraphing to me like, okay, once I knew there was a heist and whatever, I'm like, okay, so they're all probably going to dress as Santa and it's not obviously not going to go well. And you just, you just kneecapped a certain level of suspense you mm-hmm. could have had. Well, storytelling like that, storytelling of that nature, to, to do it out of order like that, often gives films a profundity they don't deserve. Mm. Um, some filmmakers can do it really well. Some, some it's a gimmick. It's a trick mm-hmm. that, 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 doesn't, that, that doesn't work very well. Yeah, I mean, I can think of filmmakers that do that really well, but well, I think you know one of my favorite movies, uh, Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. directed by Billy Wilder. I mean, that starts out with um, you know Fred McMurray speaking into a dictaphone, doing the whole narration thing. You obviously see things he's not well, and and then it flashes back to basically the events of the movie. So you know, and you know that. And when he meets up with Barbara Stanwyck and they hatch this plan, you, you know because of the beginning of the movie, it's not going to go well. But for whatever reason, it didn't ruin the movie for me. Right. Here it did. <laughs> so, yeah. Any any final thoughts? I don't have any now. Yeah. All right. Well, that said, gentlemen, what are your scores, Aaron? I'm going to give it a six. Yeah. Despite everything I said, I'm going to give it a six, too, actually. <laughs> All right. Our score is a 5.8. That is Reindeer Games. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays, y'all. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening.